kind of like having the routine uh, that I have here. Uh, you know, like in the morning I go to school, I work, I come back, not like too late, hopefully. We cook at night. Um, sometimes I watch a movie with the kids. Like I'm going to miss that routine because I feel like maybe in the beginning it wasn't as established, but now it's really well established. And I feel like once you, you know, you've been working at a place for a while and you've been like know exactly how to do your job, it's there's some a big comfort in that. So I think it'll be hard going back to... Uh, I mean, I'm going back to an old job that I already... But, um, but, you know, I'll miss the routine that I had here. Um, and, yeah, like, the life that I have here. Um, yeah, and I'll miss... I mean, I'll miss a lot about, like, just living in Nairobi. Like, the fact that there's a that Hindu temple last night, there was a wedding that went on late. Like, the fact you would come home and you just see, like, a wedding happening at a Hindu temple next door. I'm not going to have that in Houston. Um, and... Yeah, like just, just like the feeling of living in South Sea, and living in Nairobi, and like, you know, it's just it has its own feel as every city does. So I think I'll miss that. I'll miss being able to be like, oh, I'm in Nairobi. This is, this is what I do here. And I don't like. I feel like I don't do as much, but I'll miss. I'll miss my life here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like a, we haven't created a life here. I mean, I, like, you know, and, and, and right, it's not perfect and it's not always fun and, like, there's things that are sometimes hard, but, like, it is, it's good, like, you yeah. know. Yeah, like, I'm comfortable in it. Yeah, I'm yeah. comfortable in it. Like, I know, yeah, it's a weird concept. Yeah, leave, once you get it comfortable in your life and then you have to leave it. Right, and you just change it. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. Oh, wow. What shots do you have to get to go there? How interesting. Where is that? Hmm. What languages do they speak there? I'm Megan Mason Dister, and this is Nine Months in Kenya, a podcast about my life living in Nairobi, Kenya, for nine months as a Fulbright English teaching assistant. I mean, I think the word that people keep using every time someone asks me is like bittersweet. I think it's a good word because uh, I, I am the kind of, I'm really sad about leaving people. I'm sad about leaving my life here, but it's also really sweet in the sense that it's nice to feel a sen- sense of conclusion because we've known for this long we're going to end at this time, even though it feels too soon, but um, because we have had time to prepare, like, we, you know, list this, like, lesson planning wise, we knew, okay, this is going to be our last week, so these are the things we're going to do, they're going to be a nice ending, and um, in terms of, like, our community here, like, this is what we're going to do to end, even this week and next week, we've planned things that hopefully we do because we're already, like, canceling things and <laughs> choosing to stay home, but, you know, like, we've planned things, so that feels kind of nice in the sense that there feels to be a sense of conclusion, and that's good. Uh, and I'm really, really excited to see my family again. I don't know how excited they're to see me. No, I'm sure they're excited to see me. I'm excited to see my parents. I'm excited to see my sisters. Um, I'm excited to be, like... Because I've known that this program is going to end, so there's always a sense of, like, transience. transience. So I'm excited to be back and um, maybe may able to make long-term plans and maybe get on like no I, I wouldn't say get on with my life because I think I like I don't think this was like a weird blip in my life and then I'm gonna go back to my life um but you know get back get to be able to start long-term plans hopefully so but I'm really sad for sure it just does feel went by way too fast <laughs> I'm Zainab Abdali I'm your roommate and fellow Fulbright ETA 
my emotions are sadness. <laughs> it's sadness. Um, yeah, I think there's so much here that I'll miss. Um, and it's hard to imagine going back to my life before I came here. I'm excited to see my family and my dog and my cat. That's, that's about it. But if I could do that and come back, I would. Okay, I'm Laura Cowie Haskell. Um, I'm a Fulbright ETA. I, my answer today is very different from my answer would have been, I think, just three, two or three days ago. I, because you don't realize how hard a lot of the goodbyes might be until maybe the moment when you're actually trying to get the words out and see people off and question, you know, how do I give a proper send off? How do I impart something? Like, give something to them to really express how much um, they've impacted you. Um, for a lot of the, I think, year, or for a lot of the year, I would just not look forward to going to school and not look forward to the work. Um, and not because of the students. Most of them have been incredible, but a lot of my relationships with some of the students or the staff just made it feel like it wasn't a place that wanted me and it wasn't a place where I felt like I was doing my best. But then, um, <laughs> So like you get to, of course, like the end of like the time and then your students are saying like how much a lot of the things you did for them meant to them, whether it be, um, you know, reminding them, hey, you know, you're a great writer, like you should really focus on telling these stories more, like I love it, or students are just really tired in class and look like they're, they just need a day to like lie down, like, all right, you've got it, like this lesson is not going to change the world, it's okay. Um, and for them to say that that actually had an impact on them and for the teachers, a lot of them who are saying that or remarking how far like Swahili has gotten or um, how much of an impact I've had on them and things like that, like the I think validation was what made it makes it feel more bittersweet than it was throughout the year because I wasn't getting that same validation. I was just feeling more like that purpose wasn't exactly there. Um, but I am... I'm still ready. I'm ready and excited because I have things I'm looking forward to doing once I return home. But at the same time, I now feel a lot sadder about heading out. I am Brian Menard. I am a Fulbright ETA in Nairobi, Kenya. It's in the name of this podcast, and it's a big part of what appealed to me about Fulbright. It's only nine months. I thought, I can live abroad for nine months. It feels manageable. It will give me a chance to really live in Kenya and learn and develop relationships, but not too long of a commitment away from my family and friends. The temporariness appealed to me, and I'm still glad it was nine months, but it's a bizarre concept. I've created life here and developed friendships, and it just ends. I will physically move thousands of miles away from it. My 25 hours of travel today will hopefully help that sink in. That it's over. That's okay, but... It also is really hard. Um, probably the low point was like during the first term when we were very new and um, struggling a lot with our school, kind of figuring out um, our own roles because we were so confused about how many hours should we work and stuff like that and asserting our own like independence. Um, and you know there were things happening in school and we disagreed I mean <laughs> everything is we <laughs> I 
Um, I disagreed with a lot of the things that the school was doing in terms of discipline and the way they handled situations with students. So I think that was a low point for me. Um, yeah, like the end of first term. And the high point, I mean, um, I think actually a lot of Ramadan would be high point for me because it was like I was so worried about it and I was stressed that it was going to be lonely and sad. But it ended up being pretty nice. I went to Honey's house almost every day and just hung out with them, hung out with the kids. Um, I think I got really close to the kids. That was the time when I got really close to the kids. And, you know, like, we had iftar together here, like, all of us, even though, like, obviously I was the only one fasting and we were, fast- we were eating iftar together. So that was, I think it was a high point just because of, like, it really exceeded my expectations. I mean, and ever since then, I think it's been on an incline. I think things have been going well. Like, I feel like the past few months, like, the past six months even, have been great. And I, I couldn't, I can't say they've been, like, yeah, like, I feel like they've all been a high, which is, yeah, maybe a lot, but I, I'm glad. <laughs> I'd rather that than the other way around, you know? Right. I mean, it was, right, we went into April break. I think that was, I mean, a low point for me, like, right before April break. Yeah. And then we came back from a break, and it was Ramadan, and I think we had a better perspective, maybe. Yeah, and we kind of were like, we, I'm proud of us, because we came back, and we were like, oh, during April break, we made this commitment to each other that we're going to be better teachers, we're going to lesson plan, every lesson is going to be beautifully done, and we're not going to sit in the staff room five minutes before the lesson planning. And we made that resolution, and we stuck to it, like the past, you know, six months I don't know I think I'm four months um or five months May, June, July. <laughs> that's September. four months yeah. four months and we stuck to it and I think that worked out well and I think we both felt it in our tensions right like in the lack of tension in terms of like teaching because it was like I am prepared for this lesson and of course teaching brings out so don't it brings out has like ups and downs but we, I just felt more prepared going into every class and that just makes the whole experience so much better right. so then for definitely for me that was one of the reasons why the past few months have been smoother yeah yeah just feeling like we're totally committed and that we're doing innovative things you yeah. know we're not teaching from the textbook constantly yeah using power, the powerpoints and technology and games and and the student response is so, like, different. Right. Not that, the, I mean, the students were engaged in the beginning, but, you know, like, we both like uh, we both know, like, there were struggles with engagement, especially in my class. But now, like, I feel like we're at such a good point. Maybe over-engagement. <laughs> like, can you guys stop asking questions? <laughs> but that's awesome, right? Like, and that means, that's why, like, we're so attached and to the kids and to each other. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think incorporating new literature and comprehension and just making it interesting. Yeah. 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 Teaching stuff that we enjoy, like teaching them stories and poems, like you know, going to class being so excited and coming out also mostly excited. <laughs> Sometimes a little deflated, but mostly I feel like the opposite is mostly true. Is I go into class feeling a little low energy, I'm a little tired, and I come out so happy because the kids are just so amazing. <laughs> I start crying. <laughs> Last week. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, except for Monday last week when I, the coverage went so poorly, but normally it's... And then it went better the next time class. Yeah. yeah and I was... We would listen to Greta, like, 
like they would freak out. <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, I so the most blatant, most obvious low for me, and I've talked to you all about it, was the strike that happened back in Ramadan, back in I think it was April. No, it was not April. We were holiday. It was, it was around May. Yes, I think it was around that season. But yeah, so I think that was my first kind of glimpse of, or the first time I was actually choosing to be more critical of, you know, what is bad about my placement and like where I'm at um, with my school. And also very frustrating because I came in really wanting to find ways to continue supporting and helping my students um, wherever they could or wherever I could. And then with seeing all the stressors that they went through with, you know, their 4 a.m. wake ups, 11 p.m. like bedtimes, um, also fasting that month for Ramadan and everything like that seeing the teachers not necessarily have as much compassion for the issues they're raising was really hard for me. Um, but I th- it's interesting. So while I was looking at uh, more stuff for grad school and preparation and everything like that, I realized how much more interested I got in you know, student activism, especially since then. There have been, I think, two or three more strikes and protests at um, my school from the students for various issues. And so... Uh, as horrible as it was, it helped me realize this is something I really want to know more about and work uh, work on. And it turned into a way for me to better connect to my students, have them actually process it, write about it. Um, and then also, at the very least, even if I couldn't connect to the student, I'd be like, oh, well, you know, how was that time in jail with the police or something like that? Something you're super, yeah, like, odd. But it's weird how excited they get about writing about, like, yeah, the police took us away. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, that's not good, but you want to talk about it? And I guess that's that's how we're choosing to connect this time. Um, and a high, I can't, I really cannot narrow down a, like a, a single distinct high um, just because there have been a lot of really amazing things in different areas, I guess. I mean, arts, the jazz festival was incredible because I didn't realize I liked jazz until I went to that. Um, getting to enjoy it, Chuchu's plays, not just because that was another art venue, but that was a way to get to really um, interact more with another teacher at WAMI, which was really great. Um, getting the, of course, travel and appreciate the national parks. The proximity to Uganda was great because of the guerrilla trekking. I think that there were just so many ways for me to get outside of my shell or I guess like who not who I am but do things that I wouldn't normally do if I was like back home in the States for example um, due to being in Kenya that made so many positives kind of come up I will miss all of the like interactions I have on a daily basis, like walking to and from work, um, interactions that used to like sometimes frustrate me, but now they don't because like I've turned them into positive things because everything's about how you look at it. Right. So, uh, I've made like five or six friends on my walk to and from work that I like say hi to on a daily basis and that they always give me joy. Um, so yeah, I'll just miss that like sense of I don't know, community or whatever, just like a willingness to engage with strangers. Um, and I just imagine like sitting on the tee, going to work in Boston, silence, headphones, you know, phones all the time, like that kind of shit. But yeah, and I'll just miss like 
the excitement of every day like anything can happen you can have any sort of interaction with anyone like an uber driver turns out to be super cool or like a boat a driver just those small things um i will miss the food just like getting some fresh vegetables on my way home and cooking it up like some fruit just on your way to work uh i'll miss my co-workers that are always like so happy and friendly despite like whatever bullshit work puts them through um I'll miss my students, their like curiosity and their happiness to see me every day and my happiness to see them. I'll miss Eric <laughs> and just chilling with him, doing whatever. Um, yeah, I'll miss a lot of things. I'll miss the nightlife a lot. <laughs> they have such a good like house music scene and I've fallen in love with house music and dancing. And there's just not that in Boston, so. And everyone's so happy, like, and it's so easy to, like, talk to people out and about at night. Yeah. I've lived in a few places. Like, I've, you know, moved to new places in the past. And I didn't expect... I was kind of coming into Kenya thinking this is going to be a completely different and new experience. And, maybe, and um, it'll be great. But, like, I was expecting, like, a lot of difference. Um... But I found a lot of familiarity. Like when I came here, I felt a sense of belonging in a way that sometimes I don't feel in the States. And I feel like I said this in the first interview too, right? But that was when I was really experiencing it, like for the first time. But I still experience it. I still really appreciate it, especially the more I think about my return to the U.S. and like having to deal with certain things um, in terms of like, you know, racism. Um, <laughs> not that, you know, so that I, not to like idealize Kenya or anything, but you know, like I feel. So that was definitely surprising in a very good way. It was I felt like walking around feeling like I could be Kenyan and people treating me like I'm from here and nobody... Like, I feel... Again, this is maybe too much. But I, I was thinking about this the other day, like, when we were talking about... Everyone was talking about what they're going to miss, when they, what they want to go back and do, right? And I was like, what I'm more worried about is going back and being back to, like, what they say. I mean, it's not accurate to say, but, like, you know, having a chip on your shoulder. Like, going back and having that on myself where I'm constantly thinking about that look that I got from this person. Is this just a regular look or a look because they're like, who was this Muslim girl? And I was thinking about it the other day, and I was thinking about how much it means to me that that doesn't happen to me here and that I can, like, I feel lighter. As I mentioned earlier when talking with Zainab, I had a low point in April. I was fed up with how our school treated students. It didn't seem like they prioritized their welfare, and I was struggling to be a support for students going through a lot. The school environment is highly controlled at NMA, and it felt repressive to me. I was annoyed by always feeling like an outsider and being called out for that. I was tired of running on pretty dangerous roads. I was tired of the loud construction constantly in our neighborhood. It's also pretty much a soundtrack to this podcast at this point. I'm sorry about that. There are at least three apartments being built around my own. I was stressed and exhausted, and I felt like an inadequate teacher. But things got so much better. We had a conference in South Africa in April with the other Fulbright ETAs in Sub-Saharan Africa that helped me get better perspective and ideas. I began focusing on things in my own control, planning more, letting things go more, spending time with the people I enjoyed being with more. That's why it's going to be hard to leave. 
because as Zainab said, it's been getting better. I still don't love the intense school environment I work in or the boring aspects of teaching, like marking 60 essays every week. But my brilliant students and the community I've created here will be hard to leave. Another thing is definitely like, um, I mean, I'm not the most social person, um, but like the kind of friendships that I've made here, like with you, <laughs> like, you know, like, like, our, um, like the way we interact with each other, the way we cook together and like do everything together. And even with Honey and her kids and the kind of relationship we have, even with our coworkers. Like I was hoping to make good connections, but I wasn't sure that I could be, because I'm not like the most social. I don't necessarily have the best track record of like do, being able to do that in a new, new space. So even though maybe in some ways, like my like life here seems kind of like uh, limited or like, you know, only limited to school and home. Uh, but I feel it's like really rich here. Uh, because of our teachers, because of each other, <laughs> Megan, my love, <laughs> and because of uh, like our neighbor and her kids. Like I feel, you know, like I feel such a sense of like being rooted here because of all of these people. Um, and that I don't think I was expecting. I mean, I was expecting to make some good friendships, maybe, but like, I don't know. Like maybe I hadn't imagined it would be like this much. Like feeling like you're part of a family, like with honey, <laughs> like you have a mom <laughs> and stuff like that. So that's like. Yeah, that was I wasn't expecting that. It's a really nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. Are you crying? I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This was my intention. Make no, my it's cry. So, it <laughs> it's so powerful, but yeah, that I do. I think you're right in that. Sometimes I'm like, you know, it's too bad that we didn't weren't able to branch out and find other groups, but also like the friendships we've developed at NMA and, like, with Honey and her family and with each other are just yeah. so rich and yeah. deep, you know? And, like, just you feel like when you hung out with, with Fazia and Fartu <laughs> last night, it was just, like, so... I just felt so at home. Yeah. And I'm, like, these people were strangers, like, nine months ago. I know. And, like, I'm from a totally different country. I look totally different from them. I'm a different religion. Like, all these things that could be barriers, different language, you know? Yeah. Um, just, like... They just accept me and accept you as just like people that they. I just wish it's crap. Yeah, and it's, it's like, oh my god, should I talk so you can wipe your tears? Yeah. This is something that we were talking about too, right? Like I was saying, like I miss that, like having, because sometimes it has been like when we've had gatherings that uh, where I feel like. Um, I like these people, but at the same time, I don't feel like this sense of like strong connection that we were talking about. Like I was saying that in college, like I was lucky to have the kind of friends where we could stay up hours and hours and hours and just talking, and yeah. we wouldn't, we didn't need anything. And last night when we read first in the Fuzzies, I really thought it's like wow, this really feels like that because it was like late, and I would never, ch- I did never not check the time. I I had no interest in checking the time because we were just talking. And like a bunch of random stuff, but it just kept going on and on. It could have gone on for hours more, but everybody had things to do. But you know, like that, that felt really, I was like, this is it. Like, yeah, because, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think they are different friendships. I think it's cool. Like, I've never, like in college, you're friends with people who are like all around the state within four years yeah. of you. But yeah, here, like, being <laughs> friends with these women who are like Moms. a family. Like, they're close to us in age but are just such a different life stage and so I think that sometimes makes it harder to connect sometimes but then also we still are able to and it's cool to learn from these women who are like just doing these amazing things and yeah being moms being 
yeah, and working yeah. and all these things. It's, go. yeah, it's weird, though, because I feel like in some ways it's even better than, like, in the U.S., like, after graduating, I was working a job, right? And I really, I was like, oh, the struggle of the young professional, like, you're too young to hang out with. I mean, not that people are old, but again, people are in different life stages. Like, people have families, like your coworkers. And that's why I struggled to, like, I mean, I had a good relationship with my coworkers, but I struggled to have these kind of, like, close friendships. But here, like, even despite that, I've, I've had more success doing that. And maybe it's because there's two of us, and, like, also, and, but also because I think our teachers have seen us as, like, outsiders and they've tried to welcome us in so they've gone the extra mile they come to our house even though they're busy they have kids they have things going on they work so much but I think it's it's even like you get more hospitality when you're an outsider in a way that I don't think I like going back to Houston I don't know if I can you know in a in a workplace in an office make friends that easily or that deeply that we were able to do here yeah and I think I mean Kenya like I think there is something to be said about Kenyan culture being really welcoming definitely I mean like you know people are different everywhere and like people are welcome in the US but I do think there is something to be said about yeah just everyone says Karibu constantly you know (laughs) yeah Yeah. even when he's like and everyone says sorry (laughs) yeah (laughs) just empathetic to each other empathetic (laughs) Kenyans (laughs) let's start singing the national anthem (laughs) <laughs> I do miss home. I've been lucky enough to have gotten to see all of my nuclear family members over these last nine months, but I've realized how important it is to me to be able to easily go to weddings or birthdays or holidays or just be able to snuggle with my dogs when I want to. I feel ready to be able to go back to these things, and these nine months have helped me think about how much I value them. I mean, definitely, I feel like uh, not so much now, but it's some, just a random thing. I remember, like, in the beginning of the program and the mid-program, we talked a lot about the com- the complicated relationship we all had with the idea of Fulbright and the mission of Fulbright. And we don't have that conversation as much anymore, I feel like, yeah. right, as we used to. Because in the beginning, we were really getting used to it. Uh, we were really getting used to the idea of being a Fulbright, working for the State Department under, like, for a State Department that we none of us really politically would be aligned with. Um, and the idea of what Fulbright is, what English teaching assistantship is. Um, so that's just some, I mean, that's a random thing to throw in. I don't know if it's useful, but just, um, yeah, I mean, I think leaving here, I do think about, like, someone asks me, like, do I now feel better about being a Fulbright? Because I feel like in the beginning, I felt kind of crappy about being an ETA, especially being in Nairobi and seeing how segregated Nairobi is in terms of, like, expat populations and stuff like that. Um, so that's just something, I don't even know what I'm saying about it, but I'm, I maybe I'll try to, like, I think I'll try to think more about it and, like, reflect more on how that's changed. Yeah. Because I do think our conversations dramatically shifted because we were really, really, really talking a lot about it. Almost every day we were like, "What? so what's this about? <laughs> and now we're kind of like accepted it and maybe we're just more comfortable in our role and kind of understood what we are and what Fulbright is. But that's just something because people listening to your podcast probably, um, maybe people are interested in applying for Fulbright and stuff like that. Not that don't apply for Fulbright, but... Um, definitely think deeply and keep thinking deeply because we're thinking i thinking about thinking deeply thinking about it more i feel like 
I moved more away from the uh, idea of Fulbright. Like, I think I've... I think especially, like, you get a Fulbright and you're like, oh, I'm cool. I'm a like, Fulbright. you get I'm a Fulbright shirt, a Fulbright pen. <laughs> right, people are, like, all impressed by you because of the name. And you're just like, well, yeah. <laughs> but then you, and you go to this conference, you know, their orientation, and you're like, oh, inspired by these people with you and also worried and also, like, you know, questioning, but also just, like, excited. And then you get here... I mean, and yeah, and throughout that too, like questioning your role and why you were chosen and what Fulbright's mission is and how you are a part of that or not part of that. Yeah. Um, and then you get here and you are on the ground and you are, I mean, it's not glamorous. Like, it's <laughs> we're not, not assistants, we're actual teachers. Yeah, we're actual teachers, yeah. we're... We're Nairobi Muslim Academy teachers. Like, yeah. we're not Fulbright English teaching no. assistants. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, you come in and, yeah, you're working every day as a teacher at this school. Yeah. Fulbright is not a part of our lives. We're, we're not associated with the Department of State, like, at all. Yeah. But, I mean, the reason why we're here and the reason why we're being paid and, yeah, is, is because of that. And, like, especially my interactions every day, I'm seen as an American, as a white woman, and that's linked to... Yeah, Fulbright, and, yeah. Um, like, yeah, I mean, so I think that's why it's, like, been more in the back of my mind. I think I've been thinking more about, like, English, and thinking about teaching English, and what that means, and, like, the colonial legacy of English, Yeah. and, you know, I did my podcast in August about that, um, so that's been more in the forefront of my mind, and, like, thinking very deeply about what literature we choose, and what... Um, how I talk about accents and how I talk about pronunciation about mother tongues about mother tongues and all that stuff is more in the front but yeah you're right I think I think less about the actual like grant behind me that's like why they fund me like which is weird yeah yeah I mean me too because just because like I think if the embassy was super involved in our lives if we did a lot of programs with the embassy with the state department we would think more about it but we're so um, deeply in NMA life um, and then just our regular lives. So I guess we don't we think about as a te- as an English teacher, like you know the ethics of teaching English. Yeah, but as not as English, yeah. yeah, but not so. as Fulbright. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I think it is still because that's going to be a transition coming back home because people are going to have seen us as Fulbrights. Yeah. You know, and be like, oh, you were a Fulbright. Yeah. Oh, you know, and like, yeah, all the yeah. stuff that goes with that. Well. Right now, with the way English uh, is dominant in the world and the way the United States and other English-speaking countries like the UK and, um, yeah, they are dominant in the world and with how much influence they've had on, in a lot of places, um, which, you know, imperialism, uh, just in incoherent sentences, it feels like in some ways, you know, it, this is soft imperialism where you, they send teachers to teach English to propagate the language that the United States has a vested interest in being dominant in the world because obviously the United States wants English to be dominant in the world. Um, so as an employee, I mean, we're not quite employees. They made quite clear that we're not State Department employees or grantees. Uh, we're like independent workers who've been given a, like a grant, uh, but still, you know, funded by the State Department. Um it feels like you play a role in furthering the United States soft imperialism. 
Um, and it's further, like, you kind of feel it more with the fact that you have an American passport. You don't even have to apply for a visa before coming to Kenya. You come here as, like, a, I mean, all of us are, none of us have a degree in, in education. We're all bachelor's degrees in different things. None of us, um, you're the only one who's fluent in Swahili. Everyone else is not fluent in Swahili. <laughs> I mean, you're pretty good. You're conversational, right? Um, but the fact that, you know, we were just sent here, United States just sent us here in a way that it would not never accept Kenyan teachers, like Kenyan teachers who weren't fluent in English, Kenyan teachers who didn't have a degree in education, they would not, even if they had a degree in education, they would not accept them. And imagine the visa process that would take for them to come, right? Um, so the fact that this project, that this kind of program exists, and it's really one way, because the other way is not the, like the Fulbright in the other direction is more as students. Like people don't go from Kenya to teach. Maybe they teach Swahili, like the yeah, language teaching. Yeah, there's some language teaching. There's some language teaching, but there's never gonna be like- and some but, research. Some research. But no, yeah. It's never gonna, like we're, we come here, we're kind of seen as like English experts. Yeah. And we're not English experts. None of us have a degree in, like I have a degree in English, but that's literature. I don't have a degree in teaching English. So this whole thing, this inequality of this, like it's international exchange, but it feels in unequal in one way. And it's furthering the agenda of English. I'm glad Zainab brought this up. And I think it's important to continue thinking about what my role was as a Fulbright English teaching assistant in Kenya and how I process my experience and share my experience while considering the ethics behind my role. On our last day at NMA, the administration and teachers organized a surprise assembly with the whole school just to show their appreci appreciation for us. The deputy, the principal, and the school manager all gave speeches. Our students performed poems they wrote for us, and the school gave us several really sweet gifts. It was an incredibly thoughtful send-off and did show what impact we had on some of our students, along with the school's appreciation. However, at the same time, we were not full-time teachers, we were not trained teachers, and we just simply spend so much less time at the school than the other teachers at NMA. Zainab and I worked really hard at NMA, and I'm proud of what we did there, introducing new teaching methods, helping a student write a book, working to create deep relationships with our students, and being supports for them. But the assembly felt a little outsized when there are many awesome teachers there that never get recognized, and we were recognized mostly, by the administration at least, because we are American. And this just goes to show our immense privilege as Americans in this space. I'm going to continue to process this experience for a long time and try to be mindful about how I share what it was like. I'm sure when I talk to acquaintances, it will sometimes turn into two lines, something like, yeah, Kenya was great, I learned a lot, it was a beautiful place. But I hope those of you who have listened get a more nuanced view of what it's been like to live and work in Nairobi these past nine months. I hope you've heard what smart, brilliant people I've become friends with and worked with. I hope you've heard about its amazing wildlife and the diverse metropolis of Nairobi. I hope you've thought more about identity and legacies of colonialism and language. This podcast, of course, does not do justice to what my life was like in Nairobi, but I hope it gives you a little idea. I want to thank Laura, Brian, and Zainab for letting me interview you again and for being great roommates these past nine months. Thank you all so much for listening as I've created this amateur podcast and 
bearing with all that goes along with that. I have truly enjoyed having intentional conversations and exploring topics that interest me through this podcast. So I appreciate you all for listening and letting me share. I'm on my way back to the United States today, so hopefully I will talk to some of you in person very soon. Thank you.